0: Sugars. So I had another podcast that was I was planning on going up this week, but I ended up interviewing Mike Domish, and I was so impressed by this interview and what his mission is and what he's doing, I had to kind of push things and air this episode this week with what's going on in our country right now with uh, sexual harassment and sexual consent and how there's this new wave of people reporting these things and action actually being taken, which is Really, really wonderful for a lot of women and men who have been victims of sexual assault. It's just, it's it's really, it's, I don't know why it's happening now. We, that's a whole other podcast, Sugars, but it's happening now and I'm very excited. And I love that there's people like Mike Domish who's using his intelligence and his just passion uh, because of a personal story of something that happened in his family to really galvanize this movement of how do we... How do we not only talk about sexual assault, but also talk about consent? I've never had a conversation like this about. You know, my parents didn't really teach me how to date. They talked to me about what I should and should not necessarily say or do in a way, but there really wasn't like nobody ever talked about doing like role plays or challenges of like how you talk to someone about asking them for a kiss or how. I, I it really like I even I. As I'm talking to it right now, I'm thinking I've never really seen this talked about in mainstream before. And the fact that Mike is doing this at colleges and for our military and for schools around the country is fascinating, wonderfully wonderful, and just amazing. And, you know, I don't like to overuse the word amazing unless I really mean it, sugars. So that said, I hope you enjoy the show. I'm so proud of it. And welcome the wonderful Mike Domish. Hello, everybody. Welcome to a podcast. It's me, Matt Mara. Welcome to Dear Maddie Show. This is this is going to be a different. We're not doing the advice questions today. I know some of you are throwing your smart water at your radio. I'm sorry, um, but uh, and some of you are probably rejoicing because you tell me I, I get listeners all the time writing me saying, "Whoa, that's not the answer I would have said, Maddie." And I appreciate that. So always tell me that at dearmaddieshow.com. But today, I, the reason why I think we're we're going to foregoing questions because I think my guest today, Mike Domish, is going to answer so many questions you didn't even know you had sugars, Like we're, and so I'm just going to get to it. So on the show today, Mike Domish, thank you so much for being here today.
1: Well, thanks for having me on, Matt. I'm looking forward to this.
0: I am too. Very, very much too. So um, Mike is the reason why I have Mike on today. First of all, he's friends with... Uh my friend, Dr. Jen Gonzalez, and y'all know that we love Dr. Jen, uh, the, uh, Dr. Jen's Den, uh, who talks a lot about uh, sexual consent in women and sexual health. Well, Mike is the author of Can I Kiss You, which is a—well, you tell everybody. I, I don't want to mess it up what the book Can I Kiss You is about, but <laughs> tell everybody what it's about.
1: It's a really unique, fun look at how we've been taught to date versus— What is really the way to really engage in relationships, sexual intimacy, in a way that you can have both passion, romance, and respect? Like you don't have to forego one for the other, which is what our society teaches, you know, that you need to be confident. You need to just go for it. When we sort of flip the whole table and say, well, what if you could be confident and respectful? What do you have a win-win for everybody involved in the situation? So it takes a look at consent. It takes a look at healthy relationships. It takes a look at bystander intervention, really the A to Z of sexual intimacy in our culture.
0: Well, see, sugar, you did a lot better job of saying that than I would have fucked that up. That was great. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad I asked you because I'm because I just newly read it. So, um, you know, when you read something, you're just like, like I put some quotes up on Facebook and I'm like, I can't believe I'm reading this in a book. It's so awesome. But also, I love, it,
1: the, I love the quote you put up yesterday. Uh, I really appreciate that that you shared with everyone that, hey, this one thing that we really focus on in this book is that everybody of all genders, all expressions, all sexual orientations, all demographics need to be in this conversation. Yes. And we need to do this in a way that everybody feels a part of this conversation.
0: Yeah, I agree. Because that's one thing Dr. Jen and I, what I love is that she talks about sexual consent like you. She said a lot of people just talk to women about it. She's like, I'm trying to talk to men about it too, and so are you because that you know a lot of women that are being sexually assaulted are by men, you know, and so we need to open. It's the same thing when I've done anti-bullying stuff. You also need to talk to the people that are perpetrating the bullying, and because uh, it, it's 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 all one thing. Now I also want to tell everybody. So if you enjoy this conversation and you're a podcast junkie like myself, uh, you can listen to Mike's show. It's the Everyday Mindfulness Show, right, Mike? Tell everybody a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, Everyday Mindfulness Show, it's a unique twist. What we do is we actually have a cast. So every week there's a new episode. Half the time there's a cast of like three to four people and me diving into some conversation. Dr. Jen's one of those cast members, and it can be a different cast each week. The other half of the shows are one-on-ones with thought leaders, provocative people around the world making a difference, where we just dive deep with one individual and me. So it's really a mixed variety, and we look at mindfulness in every aspect of life. It could be from sex, to nudity, to politics, to finances, whatever realm we're discussing that day.
0: That's, well, and we're going to talk about mindfulness more. So, uh, so I want to get into, uh, let's talk a little bit about your story So, you are, uh, uh, I'm interested how this married, honest, this like married white guy became so called to action as far as helping uh, teach uh, teens and college kids and just, and youth about sexual consent. How did this start for you?
1: Well, it wasn't in the plan. Let's make that very clear. <laughs> I did not grow up going, oh, I'm going to become a speaker and an author on sexual assault and education. And that was never in the plan. So I was studying college. I mean, I was in college studying theater. I wanted to be an actor. Oh, cool. and I was Yeah, I was in Chicago, and I was in my beginning of my sophomore year, and, and I loved theater. I was doing, it was going very well for me there. It was going great, and I had a very tight-knit family, three older sisters, my mom and dad. I get a phone call from my mom. And it's my mom asking me if I'm sitting down. Now, as soon as you hear those words, you're like, Uh, oh, no, someone's died.
0: Yeah, I thought someone
1: died. Immediately. And my mom goes on to tell me that the youngest of my older sisters had been raped Uh, four hours earlier. And I can't believe what I'm hearing. I'm in shock. I'm hurt. I'm devastated. I'm scared. I'm confused. Uh, And this is all happening over the phone. Uh, and so what would happen over the next six, seven months is a lot of struggle for me, a lot of difficulty in trying to figure out what this meant, how this happened, what my sister and I were very close, uh, and still are to this day, but trying to figure this all out. And so I left Chicago, I left college. I transferred Mm. to be back home because I was struggling and wanted to be close to home during all of this, including the trial. And so that's where the shift happened. And I transferred colleges. And when I was in my next college in, in Wisconsin, we were, I was an athlete and you were forced to go hear the speaker on sexual assault, which back then was unheard of. You didn't, that wasn't happening. Yeah. So I was thinking that's that
0: was a big deal.
1: That was cutting edge. That was 1990, 91. Oh, wow. And I heard, yeah. And I heard this speaker and I thought, I want to do this. Like there's something I can do about this. Mm. And I went up to that speaker and said, I want to do this. And he said, well, I I happen to only live an hour away. I live in Madison. If you're really interested, come on down, you know, come on over and I'll share what I have. Well, I showed up at his door and he said, nobody ever shows up. I get that request all the time. Nobody ever shows up. We spent an afternoon together. He gave me tons of information. Joel Weinberg. He was just so giving, so sharing. I went out and wrote my own speech after that day, went to my local high school where I knew teachers and said, can I give this presentation? And fortunately, they trusted me enough to say, sure, Mike, we'll give you a shot. And that's where it all began. I was 2021 20, years old when I began speaking out on the topic and it's grown from there.
0: Well, that show I was going to ask when how old were you because in watching some of your YouTube videos and um and just what you can find going on to uh your website which is is it datesafeproject.org correct? Correct. Yeah, so and we're going to talk about datesafe in a second. You're so Sorry, Mike, I'm gonna cuss. Sorry, but you're so fucking good at it. You are. So you are you're just you can tell that like it reminded me of the outliers when I watch you the whole ten thousand hours of being an expert. You can tell that uh you've done this. And so so what I wanna get into is so I I've been reading your book, Can I Kiss You? And one of the first things that I wanna talk about because I don't know if you know, but I'm a narrative therapist. So we're always talking about how our language and our words affect affect others and how and how we um how we express that and that that, that matter I think a perfect example of that right now is I, I think it's pretty much determined that uh Kevin Spacey came out in the worst possible way and uh, the way that he just came out uh, admitted and apologized for uh wanting to sleep uh, sexually assaulting even though he didn't but uh, you know was potentially sexually assaulted a minor. And then you follow up with, but I'm gay. So here's my excuse, which a lot of people read it as. Um, and so I don't know if you know about that yet, but I do. Yes. Yeah. I'm aware of that. So, but anyway, the reason why I talk about like, I thought it was so interesting in the, even in the intro of the book and that you talk about that your book was originally called may I kiss you. And then you changed it to can, how did that happen? Cause this was fascinating to me.
1: <laughs> yeah. So what happened was when I, when I first started doing this work, uh, when I came back to it, so to back up a little bit, when I was doing this in college, it was not called Kentucky Issue. It was called SAY, S A Y, you know, like say it. Uh, oh, yeah. But it was sexual assault in you. Nobody wanted to, <laughs> to <laughs> bring in a program This acronym was sexual assault in you. So I. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, think about that. Right. That's just crazy. Yeah. That's but like that, I, so I was. passionate. Yeah, that- <laughs> I thought everyone's going to want to discuss this. So um, and I was young and naive and, and I looked way younger than I was. So I was 22 and I looked 16 and I wish I could tell you I was exaggerating, but I'm not. And so what happened was nobody would book me either. Because nobody was discussing this back then, and now you look like you're 16. So I struggled. I, I, I had to stop doing it for like eight years because it was just – I had too young of an approach, and nobody was having this discussion. Our society was not where it is today. Mm. So when I came back to this, that's when I titled Can I Kiss You? So that was 15, 16 years ago, and that's when we started the Date Safe Project. Uh, and so in that journey of, of that, when I was doing this, it was the speech first, Can I Kiss You? And I said, well, let's just name the book The Speech. And I was told by the quote-unquote experts, you cannot do that because that title is grammatically incorrect. And no person in education will purchase a title of a book that is grammatically incorrect. You so must funny. change it to be grammatically correct to make it May I Kiss You. So the book was *Me I Kiss You for years, and the program stayed Can I Kiss You? So when we redid the book, and what happened is we redid so much of it that we realized this isn't the same book. Uh, we need to have a new book. And so that's when we titled Can I Kiss You? And people said, well, why would you change? And I said, because it's always meant to be Can I Kiss You? But, and, and my friends were brilliant. They said, Mike, do you realize that people contract you for way, way more money than the cost of a book? For that grammatically incorrect canic issue program you've been doing for 20 years. Yeah. That has an incredible following. All these education people, whoever gave you that advice, it was awful advice. Go back to the title you always wanted. So we did kiss issue. And then people fight back and go, that's not grammatically correct. And here's my argument, and we address this in the book it is grammatically correct because you cannot engage with someone sexually without their consent. Yes. So when people go, no, it should be May because you're seeking permission. Well, no, no, no. That implies that you can, whether they give the permission or not. Right. And that's not true. It's a crime if they don't give the permission. So you cannot touch someone sexually without their agreement. That's the That's the whole defining moment of the book. And that's why can I kiss you is the right title.
0: That's I literally, I read it and I went aloud. I went, yes. That's what I said because I agree with I think I think and we're going to talk about this now. I think what – what I loved about the book is that it's so the book is marketed towards uh really toward everyone, but it's just for, but for your parents that are listening out there, this is a really I think fantastic teaching tool of how to teach your kids about sexual consent, and so because really, what you know, here I am a therapist, and I try to be a Renaissance guy and everything. But you do such a good job, and I don't. I'm not going to give the book away. Buy the book, everybody. Buy the book. Can I kiss you? It's available on Amazon. You can d- you can download it to your Kindle. There's a. Uh, is there an audio version, Mike?
1: There's that's the only thing we don't have. We have the extra, ebook in, in the paperback. We don't you, have the audio. You
0: don't want the audio version of this anyway, though, because there's the. There's the um, – they're not the – I'm blanking. Not the challenges. They're the um, – The
1: exercises they, and the activities, said, yes. Yeah,
0: you want the book, y'all, because there's a notes section, and I'm telling you, Sugars, you're going to write notes. So what I liked about this book and what it reminded me of is that, you know, I um, about a year and a half ago, one of my most popular shows, which is, again, what led for me to have you on the show today, Mike, was uh, one of my friends, uh, Susan, was sexually assaulted. And her story a lot was uh, – you know, she was on a date that, and kind of woke up and didn't know where she was, and um, and also too, she bless her heart, she really dealt. It's still dealing with a lot of, honestly, pushback from the police department, even here in Los Angeles, and it's not necessarily been the most supportive experience for her. So, but the reason I bring that up is because I had so many women write to me and say. I didn't – I thank you so much for that show because I never thought – and this is their words, not mine. I always felt like that my rape wasn't rapey enough, that it wasn't something that I would see in a Lifetime movie, you know, and then the girls crying in the shower in the corner. Like, that that was not my experience, and I never even talked to anyone about it because I felt like what – That because – it just, it, it just didn't look like what I saw on TV, and you do such a good job. I want you to, to really define, let's talk about what sexual assault is for people, because I feel like this book for me opened up how not gaining consent can quickly move into sexual assault it's so quickly, and you don't even realize it's happening.
1: Matt I love that we're having this conversation so thank you so when we look at sexual assault it's sexual contact without consent this is where people get confused though and when they look at it in their own life because what you just described happening to many survivors is true around the world they they have the perception that in tv and movie and the news scene if somebody doesn't violently physically hold me down or jump out of a bush or drug me before it happens these are all real forms of sexual assault and sexual violence but if i don't experience one of those then maybe i wasn't sexually assaulted yep And and that is the whole problem with our culture, because then they go, well, we don't have a sexual assault, we don't have a rape culture, we don't have a sexual assault culture, because they don't think that's happening to everybody. So what you have to do is have a way more honest conversation about what it is, sexual contact without consent, which means, now this is one that always, when when I say it, people can get a little uncomfortable. I'll say, what's the stat you always hear about sexual assault? The research says one in four women Mm -hmm. have been sexually assaulted by the age of 18 or 22, depending on the research, one in four. And I actually say that's, that's not a good depiction of sexual assault, the better understanding of it. Because I can ask a different question of women 18 to 22 that's way more powerful. And by the way, you can do this with most genders, all, all genders just about. Which is, let's say that we had, because uh, you use the example of a woman, a survivor. Uh-huh. So let's say that we had a room of 100 women who have been sexually intimate, they're all 18 to 22. Let's just use that example. And I say to that room, how many of you have had a partner sexually touch you? You weren't in the mood. You didn't want it to happen. They didn't ask, but they just started to. They're trying to warm things up. They wanted something to happen. And they just started doing that. And maybe, they, maybe you said no and they stopped. Maybe you said no and they tried to convince you to go a little bit more, but they did stop. But they were doing this. They were touching you. They were, what percentage of the 100 women are going to go, uh, duh, of course that's happened to me.
0: Mm-hmm. What would you guess, Matt? I would say, because I have a personal story about this, but I honestly would say like 90%.
1: Yes. The numbers we hear in the room when it's women in the room is 90 to 98%. Go, of course. Some people call
0: that foreplay, like right, that I'm going to try to warm you
1: up. Wait, yeah. that, is, that is sexual contact without consent.
0: And you know why? And you know why I said 90%? Because, and totally being transparent, but I realized... I do that to my own boyfriend that I've been with for three years. And again, it's not like he'll be, we'll be in the car and I just like to put my hand on his leg. I'm just like super cuddly, Mike. Like I could literally, if my boyfriend could just like be a backpack on me, I would be all for it. I'm like Mr. Cuddlebug. So, but when you brought this up in the book, I realized, oh, fuck. Like when I put my hand, he's like, babe, not right now. I'm like, oh, come on. I thought, here I am like putting my need ahead of his need. And it totally changed our conversation on the ride home. We were riding home and I just said to him, I was like, babe, can I put my hand on your leg? And he looked at me and he's like, yeah. And it was so, it felt so much nicer than what I'd been doing before. And it felt I was more connected with him. And I felt like I was supporting him. And he felt like he was supporting me. I haven't even talked to him about this yet because I was kind of just still processing it. But you brought it that up. But I have to say, I mean, literally in reading your book, it already – this is why I think this book is for everyone, that cannot Kiss You is for everyone because it already changed uh, my – in uh, two days of reading it, it changed my relationship.
1: Well, I Matt, thank you so much for sharing that because that's exactly the examples we're hearing around the country and around the world because we do a lot of work for the US military around the world, and it's the same kind. People will go back and go, you know, I had never asked my spouse for a kiss. I just always did that. And then I went home – I asked, and they're like, why are you asking? Well, because I want to hear, I want to know you want it. Yeah. And, and and then the partner's like, yes. And they're like, oh my gosh, it's so much more sexy too. It when is. you say, may it I is. kiss you? Yeah, and your partner's like, yes. Versus if you just lean in and kiss each other. You don't even know if they, sometimes you're getting a pity kiss. They don't want
0: to <laughs> kiss you. <laughs> that's true, that's true. I've you been, know, and on that's kissing.
1: You and I both know some people are getting pity sex because they the partner's are. not in the mood but they're like, uh, just I'll get this over with just to shut them up, uh, you know, and yeah. that's happening instead yeah. of realizing, why do I want to have sexual intimacy with a partner who doesn't want to have sexual
0: intimacy with me right now? And and for me, it's what is So if you're listening to this and you think, wait a minute, no, am I sexually assaulting? No, I don't think we're, I'm saying that. But what, what I am saying is I think that it is the modeling of consent. And so that's why I love what you do in the exercises, like with you talk a lot about like What again? Something that kind of blew my mind. I'm not going to give your whole book away, Mike. I promise. But that kind of body language is shit. Like we use body language so much to know what the other person is feeling. And uh, I'm not going to go in the examples, but like as I'm, you give you kind of give an example of a, you tell a story, and then of like of two people. Which by the way, you use all gender neutral names. It's like it's so again as a queer activist, Mike. I'm just like. Thank you so much for uh, just your thoughtfulness in that. Um, But uh, you tell the story and then you... And as I'm reading the story, Mike, so like it was like Hunter and Jess or whatever, like Jess and I don't know, somebody and Jess. I can't remember the name. It was like Hunter and Jess and they're like looking at each other and they're holding hands and Hunter notices Jess has a sweaty hand and he thinks, oh, Jess is, you know, nervous because Jess wants to kiss me. And I was thinking... I was thinking of that narrative too. That was a story playing in my head. And then when I read, well, this was what was really going on in Jess's head, I went, oh, crap. Like it was just, it was so great.
1: Well, yeah, that's the body language challenge that we kick off the book with. Uh, Very early in the book, everybody takes the body language challenge. And inevitably, we're all gonna fail at it. And here's why. Body language is interpreted by your ego. Your ego wants to feed itself. So your body, so what's gonna happen is your ego's gonna lie to you. You blatantly lie to you just to make you feel good. So like you said, someone's touching you and your ego is going to go, they want me because that's going to feed your ego instead of, oh, like you, they're touchy, right? You said, I'm a cuddly guy. I'm a touchy person. And there are a lot of people who are that way. And suddenly someone says, well, you touched me and they blame the person. All right. So uh, instead of understanding, no, some people are touchy. Some people mean that to be sexual. Some don't talk. It, it takes two mm-hmm. seconds and it clears it all up and it's passionate and it's fun to have that conversation.
0: Well, and you say in your book, I'm going to paraphrase you, so I'm probably going to screw it up, Mike, but you say something, there was a quote that I, because I had the ebook, so I couldn't, and I didn't want to waste paper and print it out. But um, it was something like, uh, anytime you're scared of, uh, of like what, because you know, it's this idea of, well, if I kiss them and they say no, or I ask them out, the fear of humiliation, that fear. And so you said something basically like if, I, if you're scared to talk to someone about wanting, asking them to hold their hand or asking them to, to kiss you, if you're actually scared of that, then you probably most often are, could be entering an unhealthy relationship. I'm totally, make that sound better, Mike. I'm totally messing <laughs> that up, but you know what I'm if talking you, about.
1: Yeah, yeah, I know the quote. If you can't talk about it, you're not ready.
0: Okay, yeah, that, see, this and is why so I go back to you. this, yeah.
1: idea, this idea that well, we don't talk, we just do it. Okay, well, why don't you talk? Well, that would be awkward. So wait a second, you're engaging in sexual intimacy with a person you're capable of talking about the sexual intimacy with?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And as soon as you say that out loud, people are like, oh my gosh, that sounds awful. <laughs> like, yeah. that, just, yeah, that lacks all logic whatsoever. Correct, because it is sexy, it is passionate. The problem is you have not been given us, as all of us, not you, Matt. Uh, culture doesn't show us role models. Yes. There's you, no role yes. models of talking about sexual intimacy. The only time you hear about talking and sexual intimacy is porn, and that's not necessarily the best resource at all no. for for using talking and sexual intimacy because that is very derivative, demandative. You know, they demand, do this to me, do, do, do. Uh, it's that kind of language. It's yeah. not this passionate learning of each other.
0: Well, and you say, you even talk about, like, uh, whereas I'm looking at my notes, but you talk about, I think that, uh, oh, I just, you made me think of like five things at once, Mike, but oh, so, and, it, to me it is about like, it is the ease of the role modeling, role modeling about that, and like the thing that kind of blew my brain apart, as a, someone who's an actor as well, and a film guy, I was like, holy crap, we've just seen over and over, sexual assaults happen on film and TV, and we've never seen, Like we look at the moment, what I thought about Mike, and you could totally use this example because I feel like everybody already, maybe you already have. But that moment like where, and it's actually a female to male, uh, I think not asking, but the moment like where, uh, Rachel, like, sees Ross in the high school prom video. Like, do you did you watch Friends, Mike?
1: I do know the episode you're talking about. And
0: so it's the episode, it's it's one of the best episodes. And we talk about how romantic it is. And it's when Jennifer Aniston, when Rachel sees my, uh, that Ross, you know, totally was going to go to the prom with her and she left him. And she, like, you said you did that for me. Yeah. And she walks up to him and just kind of grabs him and kisses him. And that's so romantic. And we see that all the time. But that is not... And that it's not consent. And I'm not saying that that can't ever happen if it's, into, you know, but what if we started seeing, I thought, I thought of that scene again. What if she walked up to him and said, can I kiss you? And then he said, yes. Like that to me is way more romantic and intimate. It I, is. And, and cause, we because never see it. We-
1: no we don't and if she had done it with passion right the same passion she you right she looks him in the eyes she's like i just want to kiss you right now can i and he's like yes yeah. so i right that would be fun and passionate right and so you get the and that's the cool thing that people don't get until they've done it until they've seen it done now we wrote when i'm in a live audience like if i'm doing this for the military or for a school system or university we're live in the room We have somebody come up and role play and asking for a kiss moment. And what happens is the room's like, oh my gosh, this is so good. Why haven't I been doing this sooner? That's what actually happens. Yeah, Because they need to see the role play. And for anybody wondering, I just, if they're thinking right now, you're listening, you're thinking, I don't know, just asking for a kiss seems awkward. Think about this. You're in the mood. Your partner's in the mood because that's the only time you should be kissing them anyways. So your partner is totally in the mood. You're totally in the mood. You are hot for each other. You Instead of waiting an hour for somebody to make a move, which often happens, you look them dead in the eyes and you say, you know, I've had an amazing time tonight. May I kiss you right now? And they look you right back. They're like, yes. Is anybody listening going to think, well, that killed the moment. That that
0: just ruined it. Yeah, no, no, no one is going to say that. I, it's, it also is such a signifier, you know, not to too much reading the tea leaves, but I do, when I was reading this, I thought, you know, and you talk about this, but as far as like I'm getting into an unhealthy relationship, but I'm thinking, if you're dating someone, you know, when we're dating, we're trying to read signals, and that is part of it. I mean, yes, we we want to open the communication as much as possible, because reading signals often can lead us astray, but we, we are, no matter who you're dating, and I think in the best type of communication, you're always wondering what they're thinking, are they thinking this, or the and it helps to talk about this to me as someone who has been in a relationship now for like 3 or 4 years the harder conversations just get harder it's but the thank god that my my boyfriend and I we have this foundation of love and also he's dating a therapist that makes him talk about everything so which <laughs> is helpful even though sometimes he like wants to not do it but because he wasn't somebody who was a talker at first but If I'm in a relationship and I, if I'm just starting to date someone and I'm able to talk, we're able to have that, that initial kind of scary conversation of, can I kiss you? Can I hold your hand? You know, can I, can I touch your chest? Can I do, if we're having those kind of conversations, do you know, I feel like it makes the other conversations about money, about children, about fear of death or life. I feel like it opens the doorway to have those conversations. Is that true? Yes, because you're seeing your
1: relationship on mutual respect. So when I treat you with mutual respect sexually, I'm more likely to treat you with mutual respect all across the board because I've learned the value of that. Mm-hmm. And so that is that is priceless to be able to do that. And so it's really important for anyone who is thinking, you know, well, what I want someone, you'll hear the people who say, I, I don't want to talk, I just want someone who takes me, that kind of thing, because the movies have taught you that. Mm-hmm. But what you need to understand is that, you need to own sexual immaturity if you have it. If somebody's yes, listening right yes, now, yes, yes. Well, I'd be uncomfortable if they talked to me. Before, well, then you need to face. You need to look in the mirror and go, "Why am I uncomfortable with actually saying the words of what I want to engage in sexually?" And there's no. Why does, there's no people, shame in that? And if you're listening, no, you feel that no shame at all. There, you, but you need to yeah, but you need work to on it. it. You need to own it, and yes. you need to decide what do I need to work on. So I'm not ashamed of having that conversation. I don't feel guilty for having that conversation. What do I need to work on for myself? Do I need more of a sex education so I feel confident in in this area? Do I need to feel good about myself for this relationship? Something needs to be worked on, not to shame, but to understand what I need to work
0: on. Mm Mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. I I, I have some own questions that I wrote down during the book, so I wanna get to those because I'm looking at time. But there's something else that I thought that, you know, and I, I feel like a lot of my listeners when they contacted me felt this way. Of, can you talk a little bit about how people get involved in like, I think you, you again, it's a quote. You said something like, "When we make, uh, when we make this, often we get into we make decisions against our values or necessarily what we want to do," and but then when we become sexually harassed or assaulted we put the blame on ourselves. We almost own that responsibility in, instead of uh, knowing that it's not our fault, right? Give me examples of that because I feel like that happens a lot.
1: Yes, so what we're referring to is there is somebody who says, uh, I'm not gonna kiss on the first date and I'm not gonna drink on the first date. I'm not gonna make those choices. And then the person goes out on the date and they do kiss the person, they're drinking, they're having a great time. Later that night, that partner they're with does not respect them, does not ask for consent, and sexually assaults them. What will often happen is the person that it happened to, the survivor, will say, well, see, I I didn't, I didn't follow my Mm. standards. I drank, I kissed them. I led to this happening. So
0: I deserve this.
1: So this is my fault. They might not even say I deserve, they might, that can happen because our culture for so long taught those horrible lessons, those dangerous and traumatic lessons of its fault. So what we need to help people understand is, look, you may make choices that go against your own values, your own beliefs and your own standards. When that happens, that never gives someone else the right to do harm against you.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Never. So understand that when you make choices that you're not proud of, in no way does that mean it's your fault for another person to commit a crime upon you. No, they committed the crime. Only the criminal is responsible for the criminal's actions. That's the key to this. So know that if you make choices you're not happy with, That's still not making it okay in any way it didn't lead to, it didn't cause the criminal to act criminally. The criminal made a choice to do that. That's what's important to understand. You deserve to always be treated with dignity and respect, regardless of what choices you made along your standards or your beliefs that night.
0: Uh, That's so, you know, what really hit to me as with a lot of, with, you know, a lot of my internships were at the Gay and Lesbian Center and just working a lot with, um, especially gay male clients, and <clears throat> so again, going back to Kevin spacing, we're kind of seeing this now that there's this idea in uh you know that a lot of gay men kind of have this almost like i call it like it's like a ten year uh sexual abuse uh, uh, kind of effect where they will be in high school and they'll be young and they're actually being abused but because they have this component of hiding their sexuality on top of it and because they were you know if you're a high school guy and many times if someone male or female is giving you attention you know it's going to be a it's just your body is going through this and feelings and everything and so you, it, it's it's almost like a, not to be graphic, but I've heard men talk about they felt ashamed that they like got an erection from this, and they felt so bad that they were quote unquote they felt turned on by this, and so it's going through this kind of relanguaging their history in that they didn't ask for anything because it felt good at the time, just because it felt good to their body, doesn't mean it's not it wasn't abuse and it wasn't it wasn't assault, and a lot of them feel like they it was their fault because they. They felt like even when they were in high school, they were in a relationship. And then when they got older, it, a lot of times I feel like it happens when they become the age of the person that began abusing them. That's when they realize, oh, crap, this is something that this was abuse. And they, it's almost this delayed reaction that happens a lot.
1: Yeah, and it happens across gender lines, sexual orientation, identity. Absolutely. And here's why. Sexual assault's a crime of power. And when we say that, people think, oh, like rape or someone pushes you down and forces you. They don't that power can be much more subtly used than that. Mm. So age is a form of power, right? That you have a significant amount of age over another person. That younger person looks up to you. Therefore, they will do things with you they would not do with someone their own age because they trust you because of your age. Therefore, you have power over them and you abuse that power. We don't have this conversation as a society. Why that dangerous? So then the person that's being abused doesn't recognize that that power was use against them Mm -hmm. because they say to themselves, well, I was 14, but I agreed to that. But that doesn't mean this other person wasn't using power over you. That's a different conversation. Uh, And so you might have thought I agreed to that at 14, but our legal system has been designed to protect actually you at 14, saying you cannot legally agree to that with that person. Mm -hmm. because of the power play at hand. Now, it depends on states, what age, but because of the power play at hand. And it's all over the place. Workplace, uh, interpersonal relationships, it shows up all over the place. That's really key for anyone listening to understand it. You might have agreed to something, but understand that that person might have had so much power over you that you didn't even recognize that you might not have really had choice in that situation.
0: Exactly, 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 exactly. Uh, You know, there's something that, uh, and I'm interested in, I swear I'm going to ask you your question. I'm going to talk to you for five hours, Mike. I'm sorry. I hope you don't have <laughs> any plans today. Um, but no, there, I just saw this uh, wonderful article where Jane Fonda is talking about, and I'm, I'm interested in your thoughts on this because you've had so much experience working with it. She talks about how she kind of speculates that the reason why we're hearing a lot with like Harvey Weinstein and all this is because this is happening to a kind of more well-known white uh, women and men and she said but we never have but if you're of a minority race it's a lot these she said these stories are happening all the time and those stories never get told or they get kind of pushed aside a lot of times because of, of minority status have what has been your I just want to speak to that for other people listening and kind of get your thoughts on that
1: I think there's a lot of validity to that statement without a doubt me too was starved by a minority woman Yes, many years, it was many years ago, many not years even ago. recent.
0: Oh my many gosh, many years you're right. ago, and then a white right? woman, Alyssa Milano, tweets about it, and it blows up. Right, wow, and right, that's true.
1: and so. And with without society, it took a while for society to realize this wasn't a new hashtag. And most people still don't know it wasn't. Uh, many have now acknowledged, wait, we need to give proper acknowledgement to the person who started this movement many, many years ago. But that didn't happen at first. And doesn't mean it was intentionally co-opted or, or taken. It's, you know, it, it, these things can happen accidentally, but we need to have the conversation to give credit where credit is due uh, and really honor them where they come from. All of us have made the mistake probably at some point in our lives or another of thinking we were the first to think of something or to do something to later find out, no, I wasn't. Yeah. And so we, especially when you are, as you, you know, you earlier said, you identify as that white male, you know, and you, then you add that I'm heterosexual, you add all this in, it's really easy to look like you're stealing people's movements and concepts uh, if you're not intentionally acknowledging when you make those mistakes, mm-hmm. because then you are. I mean, if you know you did made the mistake and you don't own it and you don't publicly own it, you are stealing from another person's brilliance. And so it's important that we all own when we make those mistakes.
0: Mike, I just love you. You're like such a renaissance. I love you so much. I want to hug you. Um, (laughs) Well, if you asked, I would say yes, Matt. I would (laughs) ask. I would ask. Yes, I would ask. Um. Yeah, because you know, it's interesting. I just was at a wedding. And so I was re- starting to read your book over the weekend. And I, I had little cousins. And they're like, five and six years old. And one of them ran up to me and just gave me a hug, which was very sweet. But the other one, I stopped and I asked, can I have a hug? And that's honestly something that I just, we don't, we just don't think about it doing. But it's thinking about what do I want to model as an adult. And that kind of leads me to my question. So if you're a parent, so if you're besides getting the book, can I kiss you? Which what age groups would you say the book is aimed towards?
1: Parents, educators say that they feel really comfortable giving that book to a middle school student, eleven, twelve year old. They feel really comfortable with that, uh, and so that that's what we go based on is that's that. What that. I now here's too. the interesting part, which you you've already acknowledged. We have people in their 50s and 60s reading the book that uh, either saw us at a live event and thought, I'm single or I'm married and I want to be better at this in my own relationships. And they're using it. So we don't want anyone to think, well, while it was written for that younger age, actually, it's not written for that younger age. That's the age where most people think are most comfortable handing the book to someone. It is written for all ages because this conversation doesn't change once you become sexually active, we need to be having these conversations. So if you're thinking, well, why 12? They shouldn't be sexually active. Well, this book gives them the ability to really declare their boundaries. So before they're ready for that, they're more comfortable to be able to state what their standards are, what their beliefs are, to say no to someone pressuring them. It gives those skills, too.
0: I'm totally buying this for my nephews, by the way. Like, I'm, I'm They're probably going to, they'll roll their eyes and say, is this a, a nerdy, like, Self help book, Uncle Matt. And I want to say yes. And then I'll guilt them into reading it because they're one's in college and one's a teenager. And so I think it, I was thought of them and talking to them. I'm going to talk to them about some of the challenges in there too and get their opinion because I, I just think, like I said, it's a perfect age. Now, so what can. So, what's like one thing uh besides getting the book, can I kiss because really all you this i mean I've talked about a lot of books on my show. I kind of think, and i'm not just saying that I think this is probably one of if not the most important books I've ever talked about on my show for people to get um what do you think parents do no, I mean it what do you think parents can do can what can par- what can a parent start doing today with um with their children, let's say they're not even teenagers, let's say they're middle school or younger, what can a parent, uh, first thing they can start doing to kind of like, because I want to talk about mindfulness, you talk about on the Everyday Mindfulness Show, I think that's what a lot, I told you before we started recording that there's so much mindfulness in this book of checking in with someone of of where they are and actually checking in with what your body is telling you, if your body feels anxious, if your body feels like it doesn't want to do something acknowledging that and and speaking to that feeling instead of just you know saying well I'm going to do this for them or this is what they expect me to do but actually kind of acknowledging where we are so where can parents do as far as like getting their own children or modeling well I'm gonna I am i do not even know the question to ask because it's I'm not the expert so what can parents do
1: there's so much. I mean, there's so much they can do. So don't, young, don't tell us all. They
0: got to buy the book. But tell us right. like a couple of things. <laughs> well, here's a
1: good thing. Here's a good thing for parents. Let's say they do get the book. We have a DVD called Help My Teen Is Dating, which takes that. actually gives the parents skill sets now on how to teach what they're learning in the book. So that that's just a, if any parents listening right now and they can they can actually go online and watch it online instantly like they can rent it. Uh, on our DVD streaming. So oh, that's, that's cool. something they can do. Yes, here's some things that that we share in our resources. One, model the behavior because Hollywood's not modeling the behavior. Entertainment world's not modeling the behavior. So when if there are two pe- people, parents in that home or two people in that relationship as guardians to that children, walk up and say, may I kiss you to your spouse, to your partner and be okay with saying no. So they see no, that's really important actually. Oh, right, that kiss, that's so
0: important, so important because we don't we don't want to deal with what if we have this conversation. It's so freeing to be able to have a conversation where you can tell someone you love them and know that they love you and that you're disappointed or that you and that it, and that's OK, because if you're disappointed about a kiss, just think about when you're disappointed because of bigger, bigger disappointments that you're we're going to disappoint our partners, which is just going to happen.
1: Right. That's right. And so you want to be able to do that. Do that for your children. Honey, may I give you a hug? May I give you a kiss? Right? Ask them. Because then they, and, and I'm going to tell you, this is tough to do. Because I travel a lot, as you know, as you're discussing, we travel the world doing this work. So there were times my kids are older now, there were times time when, when my kids were younger, and maybe one of them is very strong headed, stubborn and mad at me. And I'm about to go on the road for two weeks to overseas to work with the military. And uh, the night before I say, can I have a hug? Good night. You know, I'm not gonna see in the morning. No, no, you cannot. Mm. That's hard you're just, as a parent. You're just like, Oh my gosh. Right. But I have to honor their choice. Cause that's what we're all about teaching. Right. Okay. Well, I'm glad you told me right now. That doesn't mean it doesn't hurt me because I want to be able to have that, that loving intimacy with your child, that hug, that kiss, but it's there, it's honoring their choice. Mm-hmm. Right. And so when you do that, they realize, Oh, you're living that you're not just saying that. Cause here's what a lot of parents will say. A lot of parents will make the mistake of, and, and I'm, when my kids were really younger and before I understood this, I did this to some degree too, which is that idea of no one ever has the right to touch you. Now go give grandma a kiss. Yeah. Wait a second. I thought I had a choice. Well, not with grandma. You give grandma a kiss. Oh, so the message is that if you love someone, you owe them that. Mm. Mm-hmm. By the way, that child predators work off that model. Oh, yeah right? So that's what they do. So we have to be very careful to understand if I'm teaching my child that they they have a choice, that I'm living that in my own home, that I'm modeling that with my partner, that I'm modeling that with them and being able to have open conversations when they're younger so that when they get to be a teen, we don't have to have a, the talk because we've been having many talks and we're going to continue having those talks.
0: Mm. Yeah. Oh, that's great. That's great. That's great. So, um, Oh, I yes, that we talked about that. So this is... So as how can... Um, how can bystanders... Uh, I just want to ask that question. Like, what do you think is... Because um, I think we've all... We probably have all... Well, not... I don't know. Maybe, maybe you haven't. But I feel like we all have, you know... We all know someone who has been sexually assaulted in some way. Whether it's uh, harassment, assault. So what can... Um, if it's, let's say someone in, I don't know, at, um, let's use a workplace. Cause I just had a question about this kind of after Harvey Weinstein I had somebody write me. I kind of, we answered this question with my um, guest Heather McDonald, where somebody wrote in and that she's, her, that her friend is being sexually assaulted uh, at work. And you know, with like her boss wanting to sit on her lap and stuff like that, but the woman is in a again she has a boss that 's over her in power, and she is like got a one in a million job at this company, and she wants to move up and I mean the same story that we hear uh, that lets that makes people feel disempowered because they have feel like all the decks stacked against them. But the friend felt really helpless, like, especially after hearing all the Harvey Weinstein stuff. That's why they wrote in saying, I just, after hearing this, I just wanted to tell her to be like, you need to tell him to, I think her words were like, fuck off, and you need to stand up for yourself. But what can a, someone who's experiencing something like that, and they see a friend that's being assaulted, what can a bystander do?
1: Well, that's a great question because a lot of times people, when they wanna help, what they wanna do is they wanna fix versus support.
0: Mm, okay, I just wanna go say that again.
1: You want to fix times, yes. instead
0: of support everybody. It's about support, not trying to fix things.
1: And I'm and I was. It took. I had an awakening in my life a few years ago that helped me realize I was that person too, the fixer versus the supporter me, and empowerer. Me too. When, yeah, we can fall into it very quickly. So you see somebody and hurt being hurt or hurting and you want to fix the situation versus being there to support them. Here's the problem with telling her, just go tell that person to F off, you know that kind of a thing. If you say that and they think I can't do that. I'm not like you. You didn't help me. You didn't, if I'm the survivor, you didn't help me. Yeah, in fact you made me feel worse cuz I don't have the I don't think I can do that. Mm. So what would have been way more empowering is to say, well, I want to thank you for sharing what you're going through. Wow. You, you are strong. You are courageous. How can I best support you right now?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. That allows the person who's experiencing the sexual violence to think, what do I need right now? Mm-hmm. How? What, what could help me right now? They might say to you, I don't know. I just needed to tell someone. And you can say, All right, well, would you, you, I'd love to help find someone that you could really deserve to talk with, like a professional, because you deserve that. Mm-hmm. Help them get to the right people. Help them call the local crisis center so they can learn ways that they can move forward. Get them to the right people. Friends need to be careful, and you know this as a therapist, not to be a therapist. Yes. You can easily do harm when you think you're being loving and helpful get somebody who's in a situation where they are a survivor of sexual violence. And I don't mean get them as enforce them, support them in a way that can encourage them to know their resources and want to turn to look to those resources so they can really get from professionals the help they deserve and the support
0: that there you go. There you go. Um, okay, Mike, I want to transition into, um, we do, uh, about we do the same five questions at the end of the show called Chatty Maddie questions. And I just wanna these are I wanna ask you these questions and then um and then we're gonna tell everybody again, remind everybody where they can they they can download the everyday mindfulness show and can I kiss you and all that good stuff. So um but the first Chatty Maddie question is, and it's totally switching gears, is what is your most memorable childhood smell?
1: <laughs> uh, there there is an interesting one. Um you know, wow, that's so interesting. All right, this is going to sound so stupid and ridiculous. Oh no, well. Okay, so I have two cousins that we would we would all sleep in the same bed at night when we were young. You're mm-hmm. really young, and we would have a contest, and it involved smell, So I'll let you give you that huge hint that it was your turn <laughs> to go next. <laughs>
0: That is maybe the funniest chatty batty I've ever had and most honest. That's amazing. (laughs) Yes.
1: (laughs) We can still laugh our heads off about it to this day. And we didn't do this once. I mean, we did this, you know, (laughs) holidays and we were over at each other's house, whatever it was.
0: (laughs) Okay. Oh, man. As somebody who had um, a big brother and mostly my cousins were stinky gross boys then i know exactly what you're talking about um that's amazing okay so uh chatty maddie number two and maybe i don't know maybe you've already written it what would be the name of your memoir
1: i have not written it um i have thought about doing one because of the journey that it's been on along the yeah. way uh, i've i've had a lot of debates on this um one, one that's, that's really not the memoir. This is a great question. I would say um, ask. That would be the title of the memoir, Ask, because my life's about being Ooh, willing to ask. Oh,
0: that gave me chills. That's it. That gave me
1: goosebumps. So that would be it. Oh,
0: that's good. I would buy that. Um, all right, Chatty Manny. There's three more. Uh, Chatty Manning number three. What is, uh, what is the best piece of advice you wished you had taken earlier in life? It might be the name of your memoir. I don't
1: know. It would be do less. Do less and and what you do, do it amazing. Uh, And so uh, when you start as as a solopreneur or entrepreneur and you're on a mission, whether it be as an activist or a speaker, as a therapist, whatever it is, you have so much going on that you want to excel at all of it, that you dive into all of it nonstop and you get really good at a lot of it. You could have done so much more just doing what you're exceptional at from the start. Whatever it is, the biggest mistake we teach in school is learn your weaknesses and then make them a strength. No. Know your strengths. Let other people handle your weaknesses and live in your strengths. But I just don't mean your strength. I mean the thing that you are meant on this earth to do. Live in that. Be that. Give that to the world at your best. And, and it should be true in your personal life and your professional life. They don't allow yourself to whatever that is, that energy source is, live it.
0: Mm. I, I love that. Know your strengths. Let others handle your weakness. I love that. Um. all right uh, chatty Manny, number four what day would be your groundhog day so what day was so awesome you're like that's a day I could do over and over there's too many <laughs> that's good that's a good response to that that's a good response to that yeah
1: I, I honestly don't have one because I, I, I mean I could think of for instance each child being born right but without being the day of marriage none of that happens Uh, and so, and, and I have to understand, you know, I am privileged to be able to make those comments. Right. So I, I get that. Uh, and so that's part of it. But then the, you know, the day we started the business, but the day I can name the day I can remember the day I spoke on an aircraft carrier in the Persian Gulf and go, that was so amazing. But then there was another day a year later. I think the problem is that I don't, I don't want to live a life where there's one day.
0: Oh, that's well, now I feel like I don't need to ask that question anymore. I feel like you just dropped the (laughs) mic, Mike. (laughs) good. Damn. That was some truth talk. I loved it. Hashtag truth talk, everybody. Um, all right. Well, last one. And I know I'm feeling this now. Uh, when are you the most inspired?
1: When I'm in my zone without a doubt. Uh, and so for me, my unique ability, and and there's a book by called unique ability, by the way, that's where I really helped discover this. Um, it's not just a skill you have. It's what you, what you were, what I was talking about. What you're born here to do. My unique ability. People think, oh, it's your speaking because you speak around the world. Nope, that's my medium. My unique ability is to create aha moments that uncover discoveries. Mm-hmm. So if someone's reading my book and they have that discovery, if somebody's in the audience when I'm speaking, they have that discovery. If I'm doing a media interview and they have that discovery, if I am traveling with my family and I've created an experience where I get to watch them have an aha moment, mm-hmm. I'm in my zone. That's what I'm t- whatever I'm doing that allows me to be in that zone. That's it. Uh, and mm. so for me, I have to be very conscious of what I'm doing with my energy, my food intake. Am uh, I doing my meditation? Am my I giving myself the space to get into that zone? Mm. And in the other in the place that I love getting that energy is dancing. I love to
0: dance. Oh, really? Absolutely. Oh, do you have a type hip hop, ballet, salsa? Uh, all of it? I am. Well, all of it, but I
1: mean, really, hip hop, hip hop R and B, without a doubt. Um, I don't like things like Zumba because that makes me do what other people are doing. I want to do. I want to go to my rhythm, so I love to just dance and have a blast.
0: Well, well, hopefully one day I will ask you if we can dance together, and we can. I would do it. Um, I have
1: no doubt, Matt, that you'd be a blast to dance with. <laughs>
0: um, I'm not good, but I've got heart. So there you go. <laughs> That's all that matters. (laughs) That's all that matters. Uh, Mike, Mike Domish, thank you so much for being on the show today. So for everybody that's listening, the book is Can I Kiss You? If you're an adult, a grandparent, a teacher, uh, a college kid, even a high school kid, read this book for yourself or read this book to implement the challenges. They are really fun challenges. They're not – it's such a – you said it earlier, but it is true. It's a really – you would think, oh, a fun way to talk about sexual consent. It is. It actually is a fun way to talk about this subject that a lot of people don't know how to talk about. Um, so the book is "Can I Kiss You?" And also, we talked a little bit about mindfulness. But I think mindfulness is such like a, a mindfulness is such a gateway into so many other parts of uh, experiencing your life fully. And so. Uh, the Everyday Mindfulness Show. Is that on I on like Apple Podcasts and Google? Absolutely,
1: iTunes. Anywhere you can get podcasts, you can find Everyday Mindfulness Show.
0: So yeah, and you can uh, you can look up Everyday Mindfulness Show or you can look up Mike Domish and that's spelled D O M I T R Z. And all of this is going to be in the show notes as well as we also want to talk about the Date Safe Project. So and that's your website, it's datesafeproject.org, correct?
1: Absolutely. And they can find everything on there. They can find the DVDs, the books for parents, everything on there. Or if you just want to bring us to your community to to share these skill sets and messages we we love traveling the world, sharing that.
0: That's that. Where is like the most kind of foreign remote? Because I didn't say this, but like, young guys, this this guy's been on Dateline, like NBC, like this guy's been all over. So where is like kind of the the uh, like most remote place you've been to in the world to give a talk?
1: Ooh, there's a couple. Uh, the most remote remote was that I was just off the polar ice cap for the U.S. military to the Air Force Base, which is our most northern based uh, in a, on a water base. Uh, and so you're talking several hour flight over Canada to land on this isolated area where there are no there's no community. There's nothing. So that's isolation. Wow. But I've also been in places like Djibouti where most people would not go uh just for safety reasons. Mm-hmm. Uh so I've been to places like Djibouti, but I mean I was you, you get some unique experiences. I was just in Seoul, South Korea in May and I've been there many times uh for the US military because we have so many we have so many forces there. Uh, and, and, by the way, for anyone listening who thinks oh, the military doesn't care about this topic, it is the direct opposite of that. Are there bad apples in any group? Absolutely. And they're working hard to resolve this issue and deal with it on a transformative level. So th- they send me all over the world. So if if we have military there, there's a good chance we've been in that region.
0: That's fantastic. Fantastic. Mike Domish. what wonderful, wonderful life soul-changing work you're doing on this planet. It's just it makes me inspired and it it makes me very grateful that there are people like you in the world so
1: well matt i want to thank you you asked earlier what you know the zone and, and being in the zone being on your show puts me in the zone. You are so fun. You are so authentic. You are, it's just so awesome. Like my day is ready to rock because I got this
0: hour oh, with you. So thank you so much. Well, let's do it. And for everybody listening, I hope that you can take this. Uh, and I will hope that you rock your day as well. So and if you need to, you know, if you have more questions for Mike or myself, you can, Mike, where can they tweet you or anything like that? They can tweet me at two options,
1: at Project. Or at Mike Domish, That's D O M I T R Z. It is a little weird. At Mike Domish or at Datesafe Project, we'll get either. Or they can email us at you know at uh, they can email mike.d at datesafeproject.org or info at datesafeproject.org. They have lots of ways to get a hold of us.
0: Okay, great. And I'll try to be good, everybody, and put all this as much as I can in the show notes. That way, you can just click on it. But Mike, thank you so much. And for the rest of you, we will see you next week. Bye bye. <music> So what are you thinking right now? Are you, is your mind kind of like going, oh, wait a minute. What about this situation where I could have done this or that or that situation where this person could have acted this way instead of that way? That's what I love about Mike's book, Can I Kiss You? And also about this conversation is making me kind of rethink my behavior, which I think a lot of people have done that with Harvey Weinstein and the scandal. It's worth thinking, wait a minute. Are there times when I've complimented someone or not meant Not necessary. Even though my intention wasn't to uh, harass or make them feel less than or make make them feel devalued, but was I doing that inadvertently? Because I think that's what this conversation is about. A lot of you listening, I don't think are honestly horrible people who want to abuse other people or sexually assault other people. And I think, but I think also the conversation is about what do we, as kind of kind, caring human beings, can do to facilitate uh, an earlier conversations about power and how we use that in situations especially where we have power above uh, above someone i think if we start talking about that now at an early age then hopefully that can either lead to healthier behaviors or uh, you know forestall people from Being sexual assaultist? I don't know what that's called. See, I sounded really smart, like I knew what I was talking about, and I just ruined it on me. Well, everybody, so that's why you should go to Mike Domish instead of me. You can go to datesafeproject.org. That's in the show notes. Buy the book, Can I Kiss You? Especially if you're a parent with a child of any age. Buy that book, Sugars. Also, go to dearmaddyshow.com. Leave some uh, leave some questions for me. We can answer them next week. Leave a review for the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. And Sugars, I love you and we'll see you next week. Bye.